I'm starting a new sermon series today on the fruit of the Spirit. It's a singular fruit. It's divided up into nine components. I believe it's a critical message for the church. Uh, and as we really focus in on God's Word, what I would say to you is that this first fruit of the Spirit is love. Love, love. I've heavily on my heart about the need for love uh, in the church in our lives, and in the world. And so I hope that this message touches your heart as I will spend the next nine weeks uh, delineating the various fruit of the Spirit. Uh, And the fruit of the Spirit comes out of the writing of Paul uh, to the Galatian church, and it's found in Galatians 5, uh, verse 22 to 23. And it says there, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So what you have to understand is this, that when you gave your heart to the Lord Jesus and you became a Christian, at that moment, instantaneously, the Lord gave you the Holy Spirit. He put it in your heart, effectively the Spirit of Jesus, And what you have to understand is with that spirit comes the fruit of the spirit. If you do not exhibit the fruit of the spirit, I have to question whether you've really given your heart to the Lord. Now, we know that fruit ripens over a lifetime. Uh, And so it's the same with the fruit of the spirit. It ripens over a lifetime. It doesn't happen all at once, but it happens incrementally. And he's telling the Galatian church, that this is what they need to look for. Effectively, it's the litmus test of where you stand as a Christian. Now, Paul felt like a mother to the Galatian church uh, and to those believers because he was concerned about some of the uh, interlopers who were coming into the church and giving them false doctrine. Uh, And if you look at Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, he says, For whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. He longed for the fact that he wanted the Galatian church to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he he recognized that Christ himself would be involved in shaping them, and shaping their entire lives. And that's what he longed for. It's what we long for today, for you. And so Paul is reminding the Galatian church of something critically uh, important. Uh, And since Paul had brought these Galatians first to Jesus Christ, some interlopers had come in, and they were trying to affect the growth of the church by saying to these new Christians that in order to be a Christian in the first century, you had to be a Jew first. Uh, And Paul knew that this was not the will of God. Uh, And he, of all people, was a pious Jew and recognized that he had been called to a different calling. The Jews were operating under the law. There were 600, over 600 separate laws that Jews compelled themselves to live by. Can you imagine? Over 600. It wasn't just the Ten Commandments. The rabbis had multiplied that. Uh, And so Paul was trying to deliver the, the Christian church from the handcuffs of the law. You see, when you are a Christian, you are freed From the law, you are governed by the Spirit of God. You have freedom in the Spirit of God. Uh, And so he was saying to them 
that once you have faith in Jesus Christ, you don't need to comport yourself to any other law. It is the Spirit of God within you that convicts you and guides you. He has maintained to the Galatian church that it was the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, that kept them free. Kept them free, that they were licensed by God himself. He urged the Galatian church not to give in uh, to the Old Testament laws of the Jewish faith, but instead to look at the cross of Jesus Christ and that Jesus has set us free. That's what this fruit of the Spirit is about, the freedom of the Spirit. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened but again, by a yoke of slavery. Here's the point. Uh, and some of us grew up in churches where we were given a list of do's and don'ts. You understand that. You were told you could do this, you couldn't do that. When I grew up, effectively, I distilled all of it uh, into one commandment. Is it fun? <laughs> Is it fun? Because if it's fun, then it must be a sin. All right? Now, we don't do that. Because we're governed by the Spirit of God. You understand? We have freedom in the Spirit of God. He has freed us from being handcuffed to the law because it's the Spirit that guides us and leads us. Uh, and so Paul immediately insisted that, that being free does not mean freedom to sin. You're not being free to sin or indulge the flesh. Uh, flesh is a so shorthand way of relating to our fallen nature. What took place at the Garden of Eden? All those issues of lust and emotions uh, that came out of the sin of Adam and Eve. But rather, he's telling the church that they must serve each other, uh, serve each other humbly, in love. Love enables us, you see, uh, to fulfill God's laws properly without legalism. It is love that binds us together. It is love that allows us to serve God. Love allows us to serve each other without selfishness. It's without narcissism. You see, we don't look to elevate ourselves. It's not about us. It's about him. And that's what love does, you see. Love gives us that. Now, Paul reiterated what Jesus said uh, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 14, where it says, the, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, isn't that easy? Love your neighbor as yourself. Even when your neighbor aggravates you. Even when your neighbor is full of warts. Even when your neighbor says unkind things. And that is why at the list of the fruit of the Spirit that Paul writes about, the first fruit is love. Love, love, it's all about love. As I've come to walk with God uh, in these last years, I've, I've seen it more and more. It's about walking in love. Why do you think when you walk into this church as God has impressed it upon me that I hug you? What do you think that's about? It's about me letting you know that you've come to a place where God loves you, that God has put that anointing on me, that my responsibility is to walk around before church and speak to you, and embrace you, and hug you, because you need to know that this is the Spirit of God. This is the fruit of God. Look, I understand you'll go to some churches where the pastor will walk out right before he speaks. 
and then he'll disappear right after he speaks, and, and it's difficult to connect with him. That's not this church. That's not this church because God has anointed me and spoken to my heart to let me know that it's my responsibility to love you, all right? Even as I am so imperfect in so many different ways. Uh, and so Paul informs us that we need to be governed by the Spirit of God. You have it. It's in your heart. He's equipped you. We should walk by the Spirit. We should be led by the Spirit. We should live by the Spirit, and we should keep in step with the Spirit every single day of your life. This requires a prayer life where you speak to God and say, God, what would you have me do? This is the heart and sound of Christian living. It is the center and very secret of what it means to be a person in Christ. It is the very litmus test of where you stand with God. And I think God has equipped us that. And so you can study this and you can see it. And so I would ask you today, as you hear this message about love, are you exhibiting love? Are you exhibiting it to your family? Are you exhibiting it to your church? Are you exhibiting it to your neighbors? Or are you one of those people that only loves those who love you back? Because that is the simplest thing to do. And Jesus told us that we have a responsibility to love even our enemies. And so what this is about is overcoming the selfishness of the flesh, the narcissism of the flesh. You see, through the power of the Spirit of God living in us, we have the authority to overcome our human issues, our carnality, uh, and the license of the flesh. Effectively, you see, when you say yes to Jesus Christ, you're saying yes to the Holy Spirit, and you're saying no to the flesh. All of that takes place instantaneously, but it grows over a lifetime of walking with the Lord. Uh, and so we want to say no to those people who are burdened by the law, the 600 laws of the Old Testament. God didn't intend for us to live like that. God had reduced it to loving God and loving our neighbors as ourselves. Now, Paul warns us about living under the flesh in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, where he says the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hater, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That sounds like a report on Fox News. Every single human disparate element is revealed there when you see it. All of the very issues of flesh that come out, that were in evidence at the Garden of Eden, that were in evidence over the last several thousand years with humanity, that are in evidence today on the news and in the newspaper surrounding us in the world, all of these issues. And some of them really, really might not be raised to an issue of sin, but they are because he talks here about fits of rage. Fits of rage. If you find yourself at times being, uh, having a fit of rage or anger, that's not the will of God. That's the will of Satan. And selfish ambition. How about that? All right? Selfish ambition, meaning me, me, 
I, I, no, 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 it's not me, me, I, I. It's you, it's you. What can I do for you? How can I walk for you? And you see this. And so if you're walking like that, if that's what you're exhibiting in your life, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You need to be serious about this. And so you need to ask God to take these issues away from you. This is truly a reflection of the world around us. Uh, now, in a dazzling contrast to this list, Paul gives you the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. I want to assure you uh, that don't be downhearted if you look at that list and go, I could never, I could never. Oh, I could never. Yes, you can. Yes, you can, because it's not you, it's him. He's empowered you with the fruit of the Spirit. He's empowered you with the Holy Spirit, and he's given you the authority and the willingness to have these types of fruit in your life. Now, why does a fruit, why does a tree bear fruit? Is that some kind of willingness on the part of the tree? Of course not. It is the natural order of thing. A, a tree does not bear fruit because it's keeping up with the law of nature, but a tree bears fruit because that's how God intended it to be. It is the natural order of things. That is exactly the same way with you. God has implanted the fruit of the Spirit in you so that that fruit grows and gets stronger. The life of God in you will bear fruit, very simply because this is what God produces. Uh, and I want to assure you of that. Uh, the Spirit of God, which is effectively the Spirit of Jesus Christ, will make the qualities of the life of Christ grow in you. And if you want to know what God's intention for you is, it's very simply this. He wants to make you Christ-like. You understand? That's the nature of our walk with Jesus. Every day of our life, no matter whether it's a short life or a long life, when you take that last breath, God wants you to look like Jesus Christ and to impact this world just like Jesus did. Character, you see, takes time. Character develops over time. And God is recognizing that. And so I want to assure you of that, that all of this fruit will take time, but it eventually will develop when you work with it. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 22, verse 37. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, Jesus gave that commandment to a man who said, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do? And Jesus didn't go down the Ten Commandments and check them off one at a time. He distilled it for him as he distills it for us. All of it, everything comes together in two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. What it shows is the verticality of being with Christ and the horizontal nature of being with Christ. It's both vertical and horizontal. You can't say you love God unless you love your neighbor. All right? 
Some of us can't even love our spouses. All right? We can't even love our spouses. And I would say to you, you need to get on your knees and ask God to deliver you from this. This is what it's about. It's about recognizing that God has called you to a higher call. And you see it here. And this kind of fruit that God is speaking about really is the neighborly love. The love of people who are not so kind. Who don't necessarily love you back. Uh, But it's what the world looks when it sees how we live. Uh, And so what he's saying here is the fruit of the Spirit is not so much about our love of God the Father, but it's actually the horizontal love. It's about loving those we walk with, those who are in the church, uh, and about our neighbors. This is much more than a sentimental feeling of being nice. I don't want you to think that John spoke today about the fact that the fruit of the Spirit is about being nice. No, it's far deeper than being nice. This is about expressing a deep, profound love for those who you come into contact with. It is the practical proof, you see, that we have accepted Christ and that he has implanted the Spirit of Christ within us. It is the Spirit of caring, of providing, of helping, encouraging, and supporting one another, even when it costs a lot to do so. You understand? And one of the things I would say to you is this. If you find yourself not being loving to somebody uh, because they may have hurt you, uh, because you're unhappy with them, then one of the things I would say that you need to do is to pray for that person. Pray for that person. Because when you start to pray for someone that's hurt you, God takes the poison away from you. He takes the poison away from you, and he puts love in your heart. It is love, you see, that dissolves division. Why do churches divide? Why does dissension come into church? It is because we are not expressing love to one another. You understand? I have to love you. You have to love me back. That means I have to have a deep, abiding, caring aspect for you in every possible way. This keeps people from hurting each other. It keeps dissension and division away from a church. This is why love is the very first fruit of the Spirit uh, that Paul wrote about. Uh, Three times in the Gospel of John, John records Jesus speaking specifically on this issue as he spoke to his disciples. First, John 13, verse 34, a new command. I give you love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Look also at John 15, verse 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Look also at John 15, verse 17. This is my command, love each other. Jesus spoke out three specific times, love each other. Love each other. Now, the Apostle John goes even further on this issue in 1 John, the epistle. 1 John chapter 4, verse 11. And what he says there is, Dear friends, since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. That's the point. You are a poster child of what it means to serve God. 
You are a poster child of what it means to be a Christian. The world needs to look at you and to see something different about you, and the something different about you is the love of God. The world can't understand it, but when they see you, they are convicted. And so this is absolutely central to becoming a Christian. It's clear that we must become more like Jesus. Uh, The love in our hearts is the evidence of the life of the Spirit of God that sits within us. It is the evidence of our faith, the evidence of God, the very evidence of Jesus Christ, all within your hearts. Now, John wanted us to know for sure that, that his readers had eternal life. He was concerned that the first century church understood that. Now, how can you know for sure? And this is an important issue for you to leave this church today. How can you know for sure that you have the life within you that God has given you? How do you know for sure that you have it? Well, clearly, when you see the evidence of love, when you see the fruit of the Spirit growing, that's the evidence that you have the Spirit of God within you because it is not natural for a human being to evidence love. We've spoken about that. I've told you, you take two babies in a crib, put one toy, come back five minutes later, and they'll be fighting. All right? Nobody taught them how to fight. Nobody taught them to hate. It is the natural, the natural development of humanity. And so anyone, you see, anyone uh, who does not love remains in death. How can you say that, John? Well, it's very clear from what Paul has written. How do you know in a church or a believer is alive with Christ, where there is love, there is life. It's that simple, folks. That's the test. Where there is love, there is life. When Christians put love uh, into practice, it is evident, clearly, that that God is present in their hearts. Uh, But when we fight, when we squabble, when there is dissension, When there is division, when we do all those things, that is not within the Spirit of God. It's so clearly relevant. Love is a life and death thing. It's that clear. If people claim to be Christians, uh, but their lives and their attitudes uh, and their words are filled with hatred of others or anger of others, then John warns us they may not even have eternal life. There's nothing more serious that I can speak to you today about the importance of love. Christ was filled with love, and his love led him to give up his life on the cross for you, even when you were open and notorious and angry and revolt to God himself. And so the lesson for us today is that love is not just those rare uh, moments when self-sacrifice takes place perhaps where your heart is touched. It is not those rare moments, but it's much deeper than that. John is talking here about the simple, ordinary, everyday opportunities to show real, practical generosity and love and kindness. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? This is the real evidence of love in our heart. If you see somebody down, 
You see somebody hurting. You ought to be like that man in the, in the Good Samaritan where you go out of your way and you see that person and you take care of that person and you love that person. God has put people in your radar that need to be helped and you need to see it. That's part of what God expects from you. We cannot claim to love God unless we reach out to those people who are in need. And that need may not just be a physical need, uh, it may mean me an emotional need. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or a sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must love their brother and sister. There it is. You have to love your brother and sister. It starts with people in the church. Yes, I know people in the church can sometimes be difficult. I understand that. All right, we're not all angels. We have various personalities, and God has given us those personalities. But you still must love one another. There's nothing more clear than God has made it made to us. The lesson for us as Christians, you see, is that we are commanded not only to believe in Jesus Christ, but we are commanded to love one another. Don't just tell me, well, I love Jesus, but the rest, ah, they don't deserve to be loved. I know, I've heard it. I've heard it. Who deserves to be loved? Do you deserve to be loved? Have you looked in the mirror? Is it that winsome personality looking back at you? Oh, yeah, you're special. You've never had a bad day. You've never said an unkind thing. All right? You deserve to be universally loved. Don't you understand that only God would go to the cross for you and that now he has empowered you to reach out to a world that's lost? Here's the bottom line. As James would say, uh, faith without deeds is dead. Absolutely. Well, I will say faith without love is dead. Faith without love is dead. If we are not showing practical love in all phases of our lives, then we are simply disobeying the commands of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we begin to study the fruit of the Spirit, as we do that, God is the source of all love. All human love flows first from God because God is the one and only source of love. You see, when God acts in justice, it is his love that causes him to do it. When God acts in anger, uh, it is God's love defending itself from everything that is wrong uh, in this world that would spoil and destroy the world and his people. Uh, And God's whole attitude uh, towards his creation is absolutely embraced in love. The cross, the cross is the ultimate proof of God's love. God bankrupted heaven, bankrupted heaven to send Jesus Christ, God himself, to die on a cross because of his overwhelming love for you. Now, there's a practical in this, and the practical is this. If you are having a hard struggle to love other Christians, there are two things you should do. First, you need to go back to the source of God himself, and ask for his love to fill you again. And that's, that's something that we need to do on a regular basis. Second, we, looked, we need to look at the model of, of love itself, the cross of Christ, and follow that very example and that model. 
No one today has ever seen God, uh, but if we love one another, if we do that, God lives in us, and God's love is so complete that the world will see God through you. They'll recognize that you couldn't possibly live the way that you do, loving the way that you did without the Spirit of God doing that. The world should be able to look at us and see us in such a positive light and see the reality of God being demonstrated in every possible way. Uh, and that's what this message is about. That's what our prayer life should be about. Now, when Christians do not love one another, it is not just tragic, but it's toxic. Uh, it frustrates the very reason for our existence. Our mission is to be disciples and to make disciples of the world, disciples of lost, of the lost. We need to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And a significant way to do this is to spend the love of God on others. Now, what is the practical effect of a message like this? How can we demonstrate to a world that we love God and that we have the fruit of the Spirit? Well, I believe there are several practical ways that I would emphasize to you, and you'll see that on the board. This becomes an emphasis for you in your daily walk. First, we can regularly pray to God. That's what you need to do. Regularly pray to God. Regularly ask God to refill you, to fill you up, to continue to give you the Spirit of God, to help you with your shortcomings, to give you love, to show you where you are short in dispensing love, and to help you to pray for those who may have offended you. Uh, we need to tell him about every aspect of our lives and ask him how we can dispense his will to a lost world. Second, we can do good things. There's nothing prohibiting you from doing good things. This will show us how much we actually love God. I, show, I call this random acts of kindness. How about that? When you go out and you see someone who's hurting, someone who's down, someone that's impoverished, God is bringing that person into your world so that you can be aware of it and love this person, embrace this person, uh, and do it in honor God's name. Uh, we help other people because we are serving God, not ourselves. It's not about lifting us up. It's about lifting him up. At the same time, we never take the name of the Lord in vain. We always elevate it. At the same time, and fourth, we have to learn to love ourselves so that we can love our neighbors. What do I mean by that? So many of us have failed to forgive ourselves. We're burdened with the sins of the past, even though God has wiped the slate free, forgiven you, moved it as far as the east is from the west. And he's done that so that you can go and give love to others. If you can't first love yourself, it's going to be very difficult to love others. Uh, and God wants you, wants you, commanding you to love others. Fifth, we must love our enemies. Oh, John, where are you going with this message? You're killing me. You want me to love our enemies? Well, Jesus made it very clear, all right? It's easy to love people that love you back, but it's a lot harder to love people that are angry, that are hurtful, that have done things to you, and God says you need to love them. What does that mean? It means you need to pray for them. You need, they need to see that you're like Jesus. Even as they hung him on a cross, he was praying that God would forgive them. That's what we're called to do. This is important for you to understand this. This is the nature of love. 
Uh, it's, it's about turning the other cheek, all right? Uh, someone said to me once, well, I can understand that. I'll turn the cheek once, but the second time I'll strike back. No, that's not what it's about. Jesus said you forgive 70 times 7. You understand? This is what we're called to do. It's a repudiation of everything that comes in the human spirit. It's the spirit of God. God will make you a better person. And sixth, finally, we must practice forgiveness and compassion. Forgiveness and compassion. Jesus commanded us to forgive anyone who sinned against us 70 times times seven. You know, I, I have often been hurt in my life. I'm sure that I have inadvertently hurt others. But some of the worst hurt that I've experienced in my life has come in church. I'm sorry to say that. Uh, someday I'm going to write a book. I've had the title of it. It's called Sacred Scars. Sacred Scars about those of us that have been hurt in a church environment. Uh, really hurt. You know, uh, in the last church that I was in, uh, there was slander and blasphemy involved. Uh, and I had to leave under uh, very sad circumstances. And there came a time when Christianity Today magazine called me up and wanted to interview me. They wanted me to be involved in exposing everything that had gone on. And God revealed to me that I had to keep my mouth shut. That even though the human part of me, the very human part of me, the training that I had my whole life as a lawyer who would speak out for other people who would be hurt would have to be shut down in love. I had to love those people. I had to bow before the throne of God and say, God, it's your will, not my will. It's your will. And so I refused to be interviewed by Christianity Today. That would have ultimately raised my stature before people. But here's the thing. God knows your heart. And I would say to you, the evidence of this church, three and a half years later, is the evidence that God lifts us up together. Because I wasn't alone. There were many other people that fell into the same category. And I want you to know God sees your heart. He loves you, and he expects you to practice love, not anger, not vituperation, but love in every way. Amen, church? Let's bow our heads. Lord, I thank you so much for the word that you've given us today. Father, we are convicted in terms of our behavior. We are convicted as to the lack of love in our life. Lord, I ask you today that let this message resonate with our people. Let us come to terms with the fact of where our shortfalls are and let us bow before you and ask you, Father, to fill us with your love so that we can go out to a world and show them how you expect us to live. What separates us from the lost? It's all about your spirit. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've given us. I ask you to bless our people. Protect them this week and bring them back next week to continue to worship together. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.